Welcome to today's message from First Baptist Church in Divine, Texas, where our mission is to equip all generations to impact lives for Christ. You can find today's message and more information at www.fbcdivine.org. Now, let's listen to the latest teaching from First Baptist Church, Divine. Allow me to read for you from the Word of God, beginning in verse 1 of Luke chapter 6. God's Word reads, On a Sabbath... While he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, all he said to to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God this morning. Now, uh, I will tell you, I, I like you, likely, uh, have looked out at the weather forecast for the coming week and Like you, I saw that the weatherman is telling us that we've got some cooler weather headed our way. Praise the Lord, right? I mean, it looks like we're going to get to break out our winter coats, our winter sweaters, because these 107-degree days are soon to be replaced by some bone-chilling 98- and 99-degree days, right? I want us to set our minds on even cooler weather. There was once a pastor of a church far north from here who found the roads blocked by snow and ice one Sunday morning. Couldn't get to church by driving. So to make it, on, to, to, make it to church on time, he was forced to skate on a river to get to his church. Okay, I know that's hard for us to imagine, but let's just go with it for right now, okay? So the pastor skated to church, and the means by which he got there was not missed by certain leaders of the church. These leaders were horrified that their preacher had skated on the Lord's day. And so after worship, they held a meeting where they demanded that the pastor explain his actions. And the pastor explained that with all the road closures, it was either skate to church or miss church and not make it at all. And one of the leaders, upon hearing this, asks the pastor, Well, tell us this, man. Did you enjoy yourself? Did you have fun while skating to church this morning? And the pastor paused to consider the question. And after a moment, he said, well, brothers and sisters, I can say with great confidence, no, I didn't enjoy myself skating this morning. 
When there was another moment of silence and the leaders gathered together, they circled together and they began to whisper and deliberate on where they would come down at this point upon hearing the testimony of this preacher. And one of them finally speaks up and says, Pastor, because you say that you did not enjoy skating, we believe that your skating to church this morning was all right. Well, this morning, our studies of the Bible return us to the gospel according to Luke. And today is the first of five messages that will come in a series that we're calling Living Differently. In Living Differently, we're going to invite King Jesus to shine light on some aspects of how we are, how we are to live out the Christian faith. And this morning, we're looking at the topic of Sabbath. Now, I'll tell you, this series certainly can't enable us to to consider every aspect of how we ought to live as redeemed people. But it is our prayer that God will use these next few weeks to grow our hearts for him and to grow us in this faith that we have been given for his glory. I'll tell you, I know that Sabbath is a word that brings a bunch of confusion. I know it's a word that creates a bunch of debate. I mean, I think for some people, when they hear the word Sabbath, they assume that it's something done by only the super spiritual type of person. So I want to start this morning by making sure that we're all on a level footing as we come to this topic, because someone right now might be wondering this question, what is Sabbath? It's a legitimate question. It's not in our, our modern American vocabulary, right? Well, Sabbath is this. Sabbath is defined as a day of complete rest from our labors. See, Sabbath has been established and modeled by God himself. And Sabbath is one of what we most commonly refer to as a spiritual discipline. Sabbath is a spiritual discipline. Now, there's another new phrase for some. So let me define that one for you. A spiritual discipline is a practice or an activity that intends to bring about at least two things. And the first is this, spiritual growth. When you practice spiritual disciplines, a consequence of that is that you grow spiritually. Another thing that comes with this is, when you practice a spiritual discipline, God has given that to us to to put into practice so that our relationship with the Lord is deepened. There are other spiritual disciplines. Uh, they, these include Bible study and prayer and fasting and giving and worship and solitude and serving and so on and so forth. God takes these disciplines very seriously. These disciplines are means God has given you. These means in which God has given me to strengthen our trust in Jesus. But there's just one problem with spiritual disciplines, like Sabbath. See, over time, people forget the purpose of the discipline, or they forget the point of doing them. I mean, have you ever noticed that once someone forgets the why about, about some, an activity that you do, that the focus, in light of the forgottenness of the why, suddenly shifts to just how you do the thing? I remember once, that someone I worked with had approached me to let me know that I hadn't filled out a report properly. And I asked this other person for clarification about where I had gone wrong and, and that he was told me that, uh, that there was a specific box that I didn't check on the report. I mean, my life is literally the movie of Office Space, if you've ever seen that in this, okay? 
And apparently not checking that box created a bunch of heartburn for that person's department. And I just suppose that, that I overlooked the thing. But when I actually reviewed the report, I thought, and, and, and thinking that I knew everything about what the report was for, I asked the guy in all sincerity, why does your department need that box checked at all? Do you know what he told me? I haven't the foggiest idea why we need it checked. All I know is that if the box isn't checked and we get that report, we're all ready to jump on the guy's case who filled the report out. And if you've ever voiced a curiosity about the subject of Sabbath, I am absolutely confident that nearly everyone that you have voiced that in front of has communicated to you a set list of boxes that need to be checked that lets you know that you're doing Sabbath right. And that, in part, is because we've approached these subjects by asking the wrong question. I mean, I've given you a definition of Sabbath, and I know our minds quickly rush to, well, how do I do this thing? And that's a good question. But I'm going to tell you right at the start, that's not the first question we ought to be asking. See, we're so quick to jump to the practical bits that we skip right over the heart of the matter. Here's the heart of the matter. This is what we're chasing after. Do you know why? Do you know why God has given to his people the discipline of a Sabbath rest? Do you know? Well, this morning, why don't we seek out God's heart's on the subject of Sabbath. And as we turn our attention to the text that's before us, we should observe that Luke has brought before us two distinct Sabbath day events from the life of Jesus. The first one focuses on the actions of the disciples of Jesus as they walk through a field of grain. And the second focuses on the actions of Jesus himself in the Jewish version of a church service at a place that you see in the text referred to as a synagogue. And in Luke's recording of these events, it's clear that there are two sides that stand in opposition. Two sides who are at odds with one another. On one side, it's Jesus and his disciples. And on the other, it's the religious leaders of the day who were called the scribes and the Pharisees. And it's these scribes and Pharisees who believe that that they're just defending the right way of how to live a God-honoring life according to what the Word of God would have people obey. And so with that in mind, what I want us to do is begin to dig a little bit deeper through these verses that we read and interrogate it. We'll ask a few questions of the text to see where those questions lead us. And the first is this. What did Jesus and the disciples do? Well, let's see what they did. Let's see what they did that's causing a bunch of fuss and heartburn in the religious leader department of first century Jerusalem. Look, at, look with me at, at, uh, at verse 1 of chapter 6. I have it overhead if you don't have your Bible open anymore. and The Word of God, I'll remind you, reads like this. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain rubbing them in their hands. Now, after a few months of drought like we face, it may be a far greater stretch than an ice skating preacher for us to imagine a field with life-giving growth springing forth from the earth. But Luke invites us to picture that this morning. And more than that, he's also inviting us to recognize that Jesus is walking through grain fields with a rather large following coming with him. 
And for those of us who are familiar with the Gospels, we would be wrong to assume that it's just Jesus and his 12 devout followers who are walking with him through these fields. What, we see, what we'll see next week when we come back and we pick up in verse 12 is that Jesus is going to call those 12 to be apostles out of the group who Luke is presenting to us as disciples. And in what's being told to us here, we should have in our minds a picture of a crowd of people walking through a field. Well, where are they headed? Well, their ultimate destination isn't important because Luke doesn't include that here. But it is fair to say that if the disciples were playing the game of Monopoly, they had just picked up the go directly to jail jail and do not pass go card. What was their offense? We read it already. It's the end of verse 1. They plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. That's what they did. And it's when the disciples do that that the Pharisees enter onto the stage. And I wish I could tell you where these guys come from, but the best I can tell is that they were like those people who snoop on others by peering through their blinds or grabbing a stepladder step to peek over their fence. These are people who are always there watching, but you don't know it until they reveal themselves. And they rush onto the scene, and they say this in verse 2, after seeing this. Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Why are you guys doing this? You know it's against the law. And that should catch our attention, no matter how much or how little we know about Jesus. I mean, right now, we ought to be saying to ourselves, whoa, is Jesus like some of these preachers of today who deny that men and women like like you and me have a sin issue? Is Jesus concerned with what God has to say at all? Great questions. Let's put a pin in it and we'll come back to that. Let's go to that second scene. We can see from the text that Luke brings us into the scene of another Sabbath day. And this time he takes us to church. This scene has us see that Jesus is teaching and and in the audience there's a man with a withered hand along with these people who are these pesky scribes and Pharisees. And I call them pesky because they didn't show up to church that particular day with a right heart about themselves. See, a right heart for them or a right heart for you or me when we come to church would have us come and offer all, our, all we have in our heart, all we have in our mind, all we have in our spirit to give praise to the king of the cosmos. But these guys on this particular day came like referees ready to throw a penalty flag. Without the scribes and Pharisees even saying a word, Jesus knew this. And he calls the man with the withered hand to come near to him. And Jesus healed him instantly. The text specifically says in verse 10, speaking of the man with the withered hand, that his hand was restored. And from the perspective of the scribes and the Pharisees, this was a blatant Sabbath violation. I mean, they didn't even bother to put it into words for Jesus like those that encountered him and his disciples in the field. No, Luke simply tells us their reaction to the violation. Verse 11, it says of these scribes and Pharisees that they were filled with fury and they discussed with one another what they were going to do to the Lord. And so we have these two Sabbath day events before us in this passage, the Disciples of Jesus gathered food and they ate on a commanded day of rest. 
And Jesus himself healed a man on another Sabbath day. We know that the religious men take exception to the actions of Jesus and his disciples. But right now, we've got to ask another question. Why are these guys so bent out of shape? Well then, why don't we begin to answer, where are these guys coming from? And something that you should know about Pharisees and scribes is that these are men who have been well-educated in the Bible. To their credit, since their childhood, they've been committed to the study of the Word of God. They've even gone so far as to memorize the first five books of the Bible that I pray you haven't already closed and just stuffed next to you. And on a subject like Sabbath, these guys can recall a passage like the following that comes from Exodus chapter 20. The Word of God reads, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Why do you think that a passage like what I just read for you would be so important to a Jewish teacher? Well, if you don't know it, this is the fourth of the Ten Commandments that God gave to Israel through Moses while they were in the wilderness. You might just be right to conclude that this is just a little bit important right now, okay? And it's important but let me try to explain to, to explain to you how this commandment becomes a point of contention within our text in Luke chapter 6. And frankly, why it becomes a point of contention that, cre- that causes you and I to struggle so much and whether we're supposed to have a Sabbath. And if so, what we can even do on it. Here's the essence of the complication. It's actually verse 10. Forgive me, that's a typo on the slide. This is the essence of the complication, going back to that fourth commandment. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. What is work? What is it that God has in mind that he's forbidding man from doing? Well, the Pharisees were students of the word of God, so... When the questions arise like you and I have, they return to the word of God to seek where God might have answered or clarified these things. And so they scoured their Bibles to answer the question. And they find an example like this, coming from Numbers chapter 15. While the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, The man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. Hey, all you people who just joined the church, did y'all know that this was here? Just a bad joke. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones. As the Lord commanded Moses. Now that's not 
exactly an exhaustive definition of work, but we would be right to conclude that on this occasion, this man gathering sticks was a violation of the fourth commandment, and for his sin, he was executed. Now, these two passages that we just saw came over a thousand years before the Sabbath event that Luke is telling us about. And there's a lot of history that goes on between the Ten Commandments when they're given by God and when Jesus enters into time. And for the nation of Israel itself, if you thumb through the the books of the Old Testament and you go past the first five, you you discover the book of Joshua where we're invited to see God's people enter the promised land. And you go beyond Joshua and you can read just how little concern the people of God have for God and his word. And it gets to the point that, the, that for the entire nation, the people who God had called to be set apart from all the rest to reveal his glory, these people are so disobedient that God judges them by bringing the wrath of the non-believing nations upon them. And in so doing, they lose the land that God had gave them. I'm really summarizing like a bunch of books of the Bible right now. But I'm doing so because we don't have time to do a full exhaustive study. God does restore the nation to the promised land. But when they get back, they're never really free and they're never really independent like they once were. Think about it like this. If you've ever been spanked for disobeying your parents, and parents, I hope you're not afraid to discipline your child. But if you've ever been spanked for disobeying your parents, you'll remember that a lot of the time you learn your lesson the first time daddy busts out that belt, and so you're going to do your best to avoid another spank. And if you remember that, then you'll understand an important detail that I'm going to share with you. After re-entering the promised land, the religious leaders of that day, they don't want to repeat history. They don't want to lose their land again. And so they set out to make sure that God's people never forget, nor do they ever break God's law again. And so they, they, they set out to create a set of rules that are drawn from how they thought God's word should be applied. They don't want the father spanking again. It's the commentator David Garland who helps us understand this when he says that the Pharisees set up what they themselves described as a fence around the law. That fence, if you're a student of Israel or or Hebrew culture, is a rule book called the Mishnah. And in the Mishnah, the rule book that these Pharisees and scribes had authored, It stated that reaping and winnowing and threshing and preparing food each fall under the definition of work. So when we come back to verse 1, in that act of plucking the grain, rubbing it between their hands, and consuming it, the disciples were guilty of not just one Sabbath violation, but four. Now we got another question to ask. Who did this Jesus think that he is? Was he someone who flagrantly disobeyed God and would would willfully lead his disciples to break the law of God? I mean, you've, you've heard me say it countless times, and I say it because Scripture says it. Jesus knew no sin, yet to break God's law is to sin. Is what the Bible says about Jesus wrong? 
When we encounter a situation like this, should we conclude that Jesus is a sinner? I mean, in both of these accounts of supposed Sabbath violations, Jesus stands accused of disobeying the word of God. Here's the thing, though. His accusers didn't know that the one who stand accused was himself the word who became flesh. And if we fix our attention at the first Sabbath account, we see that Jesus responds to the rules of the Mishnah by bringing forth an example from Israel's history that, was, that would tear down that proverbial fence that had been built around the law. You see in verses 3 and 4 that Jesus begins to refer to a time where David and his men hungered and they took bread that was reserved for only the priests and they ate it. It was also a Jewish tradition that that this time when David did this was on a Sabbath day. And how Jesus explains this is key. See, in his pointing out the scenario with David, Jesus is revealing to the hearts of the Pharisees just how ill-conceived their rules are. They placed themselves in the position of rule maker because they thought themselves wise enough to properly interpret and apply the law. But Jesus reveals to them something unimaginable. He doesn't let them know who he thinks he is. He tells them of who he knows he is. It's verse 5. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that he is the one who gave the rule of Sabbath. He's the one who spoke it to Moses. And that he knows how to properly interpret and apply the command. What does this mean for you? What does this mean for me? Why has God commanded that his people observe a Sabbath rest? What is Jesus teaching us about how to apply the command to reserve a day of rest? Well, to answer this, we need to go back to the beginning of the book, the Bible, and we need to look once more at one more passage from the Bible. I would remind you that for six days, God spoke everything we know into existence. He spoke night and then day. He spoke the heavens and the earth. He spoke the waters and the land. He spoke all the vegetation and all the creatures which filled them into existence. And then the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. After God created everything that is seen, he rested. I don't think for a moment in God's rest that he got tired from doing all of that speaking things into creation and that he needed some sort of break. Don't think that for a moment. If you did, you'd be thinking far too little of who God is. Rather, God looked upon everything he had spoken into existence. He paused, and he saw the beauty and the ma- the, of the masterpiece that he had created, and he declared upon viewing it all to be very good. 
He saw all the goodness of the life, all the goodness of the cosmos that he created that reflected his own nature and majesty. And friends, if you follow me down this trail, we can begin to see, we can begin to approach the why of Sabbath. See, God rested in reflecting upon himself, and God commands that we rest, that we stop, and that we set aside a day where we reflect upon the Lord with an undivided focus. Where we stop from all the labors that that take away life from us. To remember his goodness. To spend time with him such that the hope of Jesus Christ is regularly renewed within our hearts. So that the next six days that are before us, we don't lose sight of the fact that Jesus Christ is good. That Jesus is loving. That Jesus is merciful. And that Jesus is coming to renew everything just like he renewed that man's hand. And when we lose sight of God in the practice of our disciplines of Bible reading or or giving or prayer or fasting and even Sabbath, well, then the rules just become rules. And frankly, my friends, we're always ready to test the limits of a rule. Show a text and a speed limit sign and nine out of ten of us are going to say, that's just a suggested number. (laughs) Jesus shows us that people are not for the Sabbath, but Sabbath is for the people. Resting serves a need every one of us has, and that is to be with God in a way that has been set apart for him. To be renewed, to be rejuvenated by the creator of the cosmos who has given you life, who sustains your life through today. We're not supposed to to go and live our lives as if our entire existence would be described by go, 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 or do, 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 do. That's not what this is about. Our Lord Jesus is not a slave driver. So when he commands us to observe a Sabbath rest, it's for our good in this way. Resting reminds us of two things. The first is this. Resting reminds us that we are limited. That we're limited. We're finite. We have a start date and an expiration date. There's limits to my strength. There's limits to my my knowledge, my capacity to do anything. I'm limited. So are you. And so resting Sabbath reminds us that while we're limited, God's love for us has no limit. It has no limit. I know most of us in this room are hardworking, salt-of-the-earth people. I know most of your stories, and I know that most of them start and are rooted in a sense that you started life with nothing and everything you have and everything you are is because you worked tooth and nail. So this idea right now of resting hits your ear and you categorize it like it's a Texas speed limit sign. It's suggested. And I've even heard some say, I'll rest when I die. I want you to know as your pastor, I applaud your efforts. I applaud your accomplishments in your life and in your home. I applaud your efforts here at church. 
And let me tell you the heart of the matter of why Sabbath isn't suggested. It's commanded. Let me tell you. It's for our good. See, here's the bad news if you're writing this off. You're never going to know the fullness of the life Jesus Christ is calling you into because you're attempting to serve not one, but two masters. Oh, you want to honor and serve Jesus with your life. You want to thank him for his cross. But the other master you serve, that master works you to the bone. That master's never satisfied. Do you know who that master is? Your ego. It's your ego. Your ego pushes you. Your ego pushes you. It pushes and pushes and pushes because your ego convinces you that your worth comes from what you produce and your, that your worth comes from what you can show for your labors. Oh, I worked 80 hours this week, but did you see the lift on my truck? Did you, you know how many acres I have? You know how many square feet I have under air conditioning? Your ego pushes you in that way. Imagine, imagine if you lived this out where you can be freed from the idea that your worth is related to what you produce. Imagine in those moments that you and I have all the time where we go and introduce ourselves to somebody that we don't have to, to, to introduce ourselves in this common way. Hi, my name's Dan, and I'm a pastor. You ever notice that? We always, upon giving our name, we'll always describe or let somebody know what we do, as if that's what defines us. Imagine something like this. I, my name is Dan, and I'm a child of the Most High King, thanks be to the blood of Jesus Christ, who upon the cross that I should have been nailed to, having taken the punishment I am due, declared, it is finished. Imagine that. And for those who follow after, after Jesus, this idea of finished is the gospel shouting, he is finished being a slave to sin. She is finished being a slave to death. They are no longer a slave to ego. And until you slow down to rest, to obey the command of our Lord, my friends, you're missing the blessing of the rest from what God uh, calls us to do in serving him. To remind us that while we're limited, God's love for us is limitless. We'll miss this completely. So friends, Rest in Christ. Rest in Christ. Take Jesus at his word when he said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You don't have to get your house in order before you can get rest in Jesus. You don't. When you rest in Jesus, that's when your house falls into order. I want you to trust this morning that there is freedom to rest one day out of your seven with the principles Jesus is demonstrating here in these passages. And I want to end by avoiding a list of do's and don'ts, but I want to give you something to take home as some, some, uh, some boundaries to this, okay? To give you some general guidance, and they'll be overhead. These are some Sabbath guidelines I want to impart to you that, to me, come from this text. The first is this. 
if you're not practicing a Sabbath right now, identify a day in your week where you will start to observe the Sabbath and genuinely guard that. One thing you got to know about us preachers, we preach to ourselves first, to our hearts first. So I want you to know I'm not pointing a finger at you. This is, I'm preaching to me right now, okay? Genuinely guard it. And that means adding to our, our vocabulary and as a church becoming comfortable with hearing the answer, no. We're so quick to say yes to everything. If we are going to do this, that means we have to be okay with saying no and receiving the answer no. And no is way better than the I will pray about it and then you just assume that that's inferred as a no. Just say no, okay? The second thing is this. Take a bodybuilder's approach to all of this. Start with a lighter weight, and in time, increase your resistance. You can do this with any spiritual discipline, by the way, whether it's your, your Bible reading, your prayer time, the, the way that you give to ministries. Start small. Add resistance. You can't outgive. You can't outrest. You can't outread the Lord, okay? So this means, as a suggestion... On that day you've set apart, start with a four-hour Sabbath. Four hours. In time, make it six. Make it eight. Take it 16. Go the full 24. Add to it with time. Third, despite what that poor ice-skating preacher dealt with, trust that it is okay to do things that you enjoy on your Sabbath. Because those things you do actually give you life. See, for some people, this might be an overdue nap. That's good. Sleep is a holy thing. For others, (laughs) for others, for others, it's a vigorous hike on a Lord's, on a Sabbath day. No matter what it is, Remember that no matter where you are or what you're doing, you're in the presence of God. You wake up in the morning, you're in God's presence. You fall to sleep at night, you're in his presence. Everything in between, you're in his presence. Acknowledge him in every way. Give thanks to him for that provision of sleep. Give thanks to him for that trail you're hiking, the place you're bicycling, the fellowship that gathers around your table. Give thanks for it. Acknowledge him for he's present with you. Here's this. Love others well on your Sabbath. If there's an opportunity to do good for your neighbor, do it. I promise you that will be as life-giving and refreshing as a nap. The Spirit of God can do that. Here's the last thing. As you seek to put this into practice, give yourself grace. Hey, I tried this four-hour thing, Pastor, and I only made it three, and my mind went crazy, and then I got up and I started cutting the grass. Okay, don't give up on the whole thing. Set out to do four next week. Give yourself grace. Here's how we can do that, and this is a mind shift for us. If the holy God who you have offended with your sin so freely extends grace to you, surely you can give yourself grace too. Surely you can. Thank you for tuning in to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church Divine, located at 
3308 West Hondo Avenue in Divine, Texas. We invite you to be our guests at our 8.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. services each Sunday. You can find more information about First Baptist Church Divine at www.fbcdivine.org, where our mission is to equip all generations to impact lives for Christ. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you.